brand new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. I'm T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. And joining me again today is um, Stack Deck Studios. We recently had him on the show to talk his latest release, Remission. Mr. Ben Schatzel is back to join us again. Ben, how's it going, man? Awesome, man. It's good to be here. How are you doing, T? I'm doing good, man. It's great to have you back. It has been a uh, a hot summer. You guys have been getting like some really great views on Remission as well. I saw you just released your director's commentary for that as well, too, which is awesome because I'm a nut for commentary. Like I'm an absolute nut. That is what got me into DVDs in the first place back in the day. So I saw that as like, yeah, we're going to watch that. We're going to definitely work through <laughs> that now, too, man. Tell me, yeah. man, like, what like commentary like, i gotta know because like i love it and not a lot of people do that for like especially like for their films now man why'd you want to do a commentary for it yeah so it, it feels like a little bit of a self-indulgent thing to like publish a commentary in that way i went back and forth in my head and i'm like man does, does anybody care and then i eventually decided well i care so yep. i'm gonna do it um and i mean really the the reason for it is because that film was in post-production for so long and I was like well I want to do some sort of post-mortem on this and see what sort of lessons I can pull from this just always trying to get you know two percent better or whatever yeah. um and and I thought well you know what if there's any sort of lessons that I learned that I could potentially impart into you know a stranger on the internet then then so be it but if nothing else then this is something for me to go back to it's like archival information and you know see see kind of where i was at in my development shortly after remission so yeah i mean i think it's a fun thing like you said people don't really do uh commentary on on their films anymore and it's just a another fun element uh to bring to it in, in the world of streaming you don't always get that so i figured hey i i currently control all of my artistic output why not do what i want to do throw a director's commentary out there it's there if you want it you know so love yeah. it and we're going to drop the link for that as well, too, folks. So please make sure you look for that link here because we're going to drop the link right there for you guys so you can check out the commentary on Remission for sure. But uh, what we're talking about today, uh, earlier this year, when I did my 100th episode of the show, I talked about what I thought was the best of 2022 so far because honestly, and Ben, I, I'm sure you probably agree, it has been a kick-ass year for horror. We have gotten... So many great movies, and it's still only September. I say it's only September, like we only have a few months left in the year, but man, it's been a good year for horror, right? Absolutely. Well, that's the thing, is it, it feels like in a usual year, this is when horror season would kind of be starting. It's Labor Day weekend right now, and yeah. it feels like we've already gotten our full course meal of horror, and we're not even into the, the last part of the year with the end of September and October rolling around, so... It's a yeah. lot. I certainly haven't seen everything. I'm still trying to play catch up, but it's been awesome. And a lot of really good horror, too. Yeah, it's it's funny because, uh, and we'll, we'll get to what we're going to talk about here, but, uh, you know, what's cracking me up is that, like you said, like, you know, there's so much stuff that people have seen and are still catching up on. I still have friends who, like, keep tagging me and keep showing me, like, man, have you seen the trailer for Pearl yet? Pearl looks really good. It's like, have yeah. I seen the trailer? X is the number one movie of the year for me right now. Of course, I've seen the trailer <laughs> for Pearl. I'm ready for it now. And I got to ask, when we go into it, what's kind of been like at the top of your list this year right now? What's been what's been riding the high line for you that you really like this year? This is such a predictable answer, I think. But nope, 
absolutely blew me out of the water. Nope is yeah. such a good movie. I'm not sure if it's quite getting the level of conversation it deserves just because we expect Jordan Peele to come out with an absolutely incredible film. But that I, that was unlike anything I've ever seen before. I thought it was awesome. I, man, I was shocked by how much like I missed in that because I like to say I'm an observant guy. And then after I got to see the movie, I was like, oh my God, I missed this. And that makes so much sense. Like there's so many layers in that movie to peel back, right? Yeah, absolutely. I saw it opening weekend and I'm with you. You know, usually I'm trying to pull out the, pull apart the film as I'm watching it and, and dissect every piece of it. And I watched the film. I went in mostly cold. If I already know I'm sold on a movie, I try to avoid trailers and try to go in with as little knowledge of the film as possible. So I didn't really know what I was walking into aside from knowing it was a Jordan Peele movie. Walked out of the theater, said, that's the best movie I've seen in a really long time. Then I started yeah. watching all that behind the scenes stuff and some of the, the other reviews coming out. And I'm thinking, I didn't even catch half of this. So uh, went back and watched it again. I'm sure I'm going to watch it five or 10 times once, once I'm able to buy it on uh, Blu-ray, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a great one. Oh, and we're not going to gloss over what Mr. Schatzels just said, y'all, because we are still physical media buyers at that point, too. And you got to buy it while you can now. Yeah, it's got to sit on the shelf. You know, it's I've already got the spot for it. It's just, yeah, got to get it in the collection. That's my man right there. Yes, sir. But but that brings us around because, like I said, early this year, I was revealing my top movies of the year so far back in around June. And at the time, I had very much placed there. We are all uh, we're all going to the World's Fair as one of the top five horror films of the year. I didn't review it for whatever reason. I just randomly caught it off the cuff earlier when I was watching a lot of other films there. Didn't review it. Talked about how much I loved it. And then you pointed out to me that it was coming to HBO Max in the last week. And I was like, that's it. Because now everybody's going to get a chance to see it. Because it was kind of hard to track it down, in my opinion, prior to the last week. Because it was available in a lot of places for streaming, but it wasn't really being promoted or anything. So this is going to get a bunch of fresh eyes on it. And I, I'm curious, when did you actually get a chance to see this movie, Ben? And initial thoughts before we start going into it now. Yeah, so this movie first crossed my radar when it released. It was kind of around January, February time. And I live right next to a theater in Chicago called uh, Music Box Theater. And every now and again, Music Box will maybe go kind of low-key viral on the internet because they love to do fun sort of double features. Um, when the film Men came out, there was a, a, a movie called Love, I believe, or something along those lines. And they they decked out their uh, marquee with Men Love Shrek, and they did a triple feature <laughs> of those movies. And so they just love to have fun with it. And uh, at some point earlier on this year, they, they were showing we're all going to the World's Fair. And it was just, there was a handful of other movies coming out, but nothing I was super duper interested in. And I was like, I got to catch a screening couldn't make it to a screening. So it just was kind of front of mind for me for a while. Uh, and now that I'm trying to play a little bit of catch up here, I thought, all right, now's the time. I was kind of in the mood for for something that might've been a little bit more experimental, a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, and I just pulled the trigger on it on a video on demand. Of course, like two weeks right before it came on HBO because the announcement, you know, they announced like it was going on HBO and then like later that week it was on it. So at that point, that was the only way that I knew of to see it was video on demand. Um, and, and I didn't know what I was walking into. I saw 
the director for this is now starting to do a little bit of promotion for her next film. I saw the TV glow and I said, well, let me get ahead of this. Let me, let me see what we could be in store for there. And if it's anything like we're all going to the world's fair, then I think we're in for a treat. Definitely. Definitely. And it's interesting because like you said, um, I think I even had to watch it like on Google play or something like that when I caught it earlier this year, because it wasn't even like on every single like streaming platform you could buy or rent typically. So it it was, it had a hell of a time finding a, maybe not so much distribution, but finding a way for people to not have to like work so hard to find it. But it's now here on HBO Max, folks, and we are definitely, definitely here to uh, to tell you all about it. So we're going to jump right into it here and tell you a little bit about the story. Then we're just going to go ahead and break it all apart. And we have to warn you, folks, uh, you know, typically I do a 10-year rule with films where we're not going to spoil the big, big uh, aspects of the movie and everything. But Ben and I kind of decided that because the ending of this film is just so open to interpretation and everyone's probably going to have a different interpretation of it. We just can't talk about it or some of the finer points of the film without just getting into spoiler territory. So this is a warning, y'all. If you have not seen this film yet and you don't want to be spoiled, you're going to want to turn things off right now. Come back after you go and check it out on HBO Max because we are headed into spoiler territory, ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah. We're all going to the World's Fair, tells the story of Casey, a lonely teenage girl that's living with her widowed father that decides she's going to take the viral World's Fair challenge. And once she does, she begins to notice that there's a change happening within her and things around her are very much ending up in a weird, weird space. So, Ben, I got to ask you. Because the idea of doing like some kind of, not necessarily like a challenge, I know that's like a very much a big recent thing in social media with the rise of TikTok and Instagram and everything that we have kids out there doing all this stuff they probably really shouldn't be doing for all these challenges. Like, you know, there's the Tide Bleach Pod Challenge and the Hot Water Challenge and you make challenge on everything these days. But what got me though, was that um, I instantly was getting reminders of a lot of like early early 2000s horror films where it's like like The Ring or like Fear.com or like Stay Alive. Like you watch this or you play this and then you're going to die in a little bit there now. And I'm, I'm curious if... Um, if any part of that really resonated with you, like, did you, did you have any, have you done any of these dumb challenges or seen any of this like craze that kids have been getting into with this in the last few years now? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I'm personally one to get sucked into the internet challenge phenomena, but I think it does capture a really interesting age demographic where when I was in high school, uh, that was when the ice bucket, cha- the ice bucket challenge was, you know, that was the big thing sweeping the internet. And I think the internet's evolved in a little bit where some of these challenges are shorter lived, like even the big internet challenges don't seem to sweep generations the way yeah. that the ice bucket challenge did. But oh, yeah, it's it's really interesting device, though, I think for horror, because it's almost another angle on the being marked by by the killer, kind of the Laurie Strode sort of a motif of you know you now you've done this and now you're marked and now one way or another you're gonna meet the end of your fate and so i think it's a, a great entry point to like explore that motif and it does it, it talks to gen z it kind of talks to my generation i think it talks to 
probably the gen alpha kids that are that are coming up now so it's a sort of unifying experience in that way and what's kind of interesting about it because I, I liked how you talk about like the generations it kind of goes uh, like these kind of things can go across and who really is affected by it um i think we'd be remiss to not mention that a lot of these kind of challenges and viral things are usually more popular with like an extremely younger crowd you know we're talking like we're talking early teens and everything like you know your 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 10 through 15 kind of crowd who get into this kind of stuff and you know we do learn throughout the film that our lead character casey again her mother her mother is uh obviously passed away and you know she's watching a video of her mom a little bit later on in the film um we get the idea there's a very much a strained relationship between uh between her and her father as well too because we don't see him and the only the only bit of input we kind of get from him is him like kind of yelling at her in the middle of the night and you know it kind of just points out that at least in this case, that it's the impressionable, it's it's kind of the impressionable young, the impressionable youth who don't really have that support system in their life who may not necessarily fall prey. Fall prey sounds uh, sounds a little bit more on the uh, the scary side there, but the I ones a little that are more vulnerable, yeah, yeah, a little more vulnerable there for it. And I I wonder, I truly do wonder here for it, you know. Because it's it's a great choice of making Casey this this protagonist who's dealing with so much and doesn't really have friends and like she says doesn't really know how to talk to people, you know. If this was somebody else, like if this is somebody who's in like a a happy family and they have you know they have friends and a support system, do they do the same thing? Do you do you think that happens if you have the same kind of you have the support system in your life to where you're not looking for the kind of the kind of things that she is? Yeah, maybe so, uh, but certainly not on this level. I think yeah. that the kernel, I suppose, that I picked at with this film is just the idea of anybody who's gone down that sort of dark rabbit hole of the internet and then taken that two or three steps further than they should have because there's just such a curiosity, especially when you're at that age and, you know, kind of pre-adulthood in high school or so. And maybe that's why we see so many horror films that focus on on that age range. But I think, uh, yeah, it, it certainly explores sort of the vulnerability of, of these folks. Uh, it reminded me sort of the film Sinister, where it's wow. the take home message is maybe like, hey, you should have an idea of what sort of content is out there. And the Internet is just a reflection of the world at the end of the day you know we we created it as as humans but there's a lot of perils there like it can do some good and it can bring people together and it can be a form of community for people who don't have that element of community in their day-to-day -day life but it can also provide access to to people that you maybe should never be in contact with what uh I, I know as a kid thinking about it like things that we probably shouldn't do as a kid which as a horror fan i love looking back and be like yeah that was dumb because man if that place was haunted or anything and what stood out in my mind from my childhood was that uh, i remember as a kid living on an air force base and they had a bunch of abandoned apartments and me and my friends would always just kind of wander through these abandoned apartments late at night and everything it's like didn't think twice about it and these days we're like yeah screw that that's not gonna happen <laughs> anymore there um did you as a kid ever have any kind of like scary adventures that looking back now it's like man i would not do that today now with like being the horror fan that i am 
Oh, certainly. And I think that's the the biggest difference between this and maybe some of the slasher flicks or, uh, I don't know, other, other horror uh, trends from previously is you look at actions that you have as a kid, whether it's like breaking into an abandoned theme park or, you know, breaking into a, an apartment or being out later than you should. And, oh, somebody's going to come after us. Whereas here, the focus is Maybe this person is dwelling a little bit of a, on a corner of the internet that they shouldn't be in. And, you know, whereas you're running from a, a serial killer, once you're at safety, then, you know, as long as you don't go back to that theme park or something, then, then maybe you're fine, mm -hmm. at least in real life. But I think that this horror film infiltrates reality in a completely different way, because if that scary person or, or that, you know, predator that's coming after you is also your only real sense of community and, and human contact and somebody who understands you, then it complexes things to a whole other level because you're almost emotionally dependent in a way. And it's much harder to put up those walls. And what's interesting is that, you know, it is pointed out because as Casey's kind of doing her research into the World's Fair Challenge, um, it, it there's pointed out, we hear a voiceover for it that like, you know, it's an interactive horror game, basically. It's that this is just kind of like the intro that you have to do to kind of put yourself into this big role-playing world and everything. And then stuff starts getting creepy, but it kind of seems, and, you know, we'll wrap back around to this at the end, but uh, it, it's set up that, you know, maybe these people are just telling their own stories at that point that you do this and then you have to build your own narrative for what does that mean after you want to go to the world's fair. And I do find it interesting because it's easy to for, it, it's easy for us as, as audience members to hear that, to see that and forget about it and then just kind of like settle into, well, everything that we're seeing right now is real. Everything that's happening to Casey and what she's going through and what she's experiencing and what she's feeling, this has to be absolutely authentic. But we think that, and then it's, again, we have to forget what's said, like right when she starts doing it, that this is a game. And uh, I don't know, like I, I I really enjoyed that that setup too the actual World's Fair challenge itself, because all these other things, all these other things out there, with the exception of maybe like the ring or so, you know, there's no kind of warning for it. It's just like, hey, we're going to do this. And then, oh, shit, something happened. But this one here is like, it, there's all this explicit instruction with it. And uh, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that fact that we we can easily forget it just because we get so immersed into what's happening to Casey throughout this movie as well, you know? I think so. And I think the piece of it that really pulls it together for me is that we're really just seeing Casey's perspective on it. So even when we're seeing the other participants in the challenge, we're not really seeing it from their POV. We're seeing it from how she's interpreting it and kind of, you know, the, the content that she's taking in. And then we see how that affects her and how then she's contributing either to this game or either developing her personality in a way that sort of, you know, puts her in a position to play well at the game or, or be good. And it's sort of, it, I think it uh, functions as a in-between between the the online reality and the real life reality and then the world's fair challenge is kind of in this gray zone in between and you don't know if it's real or, or not real and it's scary because you can't just look at it objectively and say 
no, she she's not actually going to act upon these things that she's saying because she very well might. And even if it is within the world of the game, it still has real life complications and, and uh, impact. Yes, it does. And there's even there's a, there's a very poignant part kind of towards the beginning after she like starts playing to where um, she goes out to her dad's uh, shed, uh, garage, whatever you want to call it. And um, she goes to watch a video of like her mother uh, kind of soothing her to sleep, which we assume is probably from, uh, you know, a while back, a video her mother made before she passed or whatever. But right before that, there's a very, very directed point where Casey finds her father's rifle takes it out and is just kind of looking at it and nothing happens with it there, but that seems rather, rather purposeful, especially with what you just mentioned that Casey spins the movie, making some very off the, off the cuff remarks about things that she may or may not do and not knowing whether or not that's actually true. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, 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 you're absolutely, I love the, I love the fact that you mentioned the idea of like real world consequences, because whether this is, you know, whether this is something is actually happening or it's something completely different at that point, that doesn't change the fact that so much of these things that she really shouldn't be saying, like, you know, she might kill her dad or she might stand in traffic or anything like that. If you put that out there, especially like in today's day and age, if you put that online, that's not going missed. That's not going under the bridge or anything. Like there's somebody who's going to catch what you're saying at that point, you know? Absolutely. And that that's really the crux of all of it. I know some of the reviews out there that might have not looked favorably upon this film. I think the recurring theme amongst those reviews is they think, well, the end of the film is not satisfying. Like the end of the film sort of ends in a way that leaves you on the hook and it's not, oh, she won or, oh, she she lost and, and the monster won. It's not like that. Like it, the horror is more so uh, a way to heighten these real life feelings and these real life situations. And the horror is not necessarily, you know, Michael Myers chasing her around the streets. Not that one is inherently better or worse than the other one. But I think for a lot of horror fans coming in, maybe that that could be something that just feels a little different than what we're used to seeing because all of the elements of this are more complicated than just the face value. Even her father, we never see him. And I almost wanted to just write him off as like, okay, maybe he's just an abusive dad. Maybe he just neglects her and, and doesn't engage with her. But I don't even think it's that simple. Like, I think she has a complicated relationship with her father and we don't get to see all of that. And it's kind of interesting that we don't get to see all of that because then we have to make our own judgments on it. And any person watching the film is going to have a different opinion. And that's going to inform the way that they process the movie. And it certainly goes to uh, inform the other relationships that she has with other characters. Yeah. And I, you know, they, they show and she speculates earlier on um, when she's watching, cause you mentioned, you know, we're seeing everything from her perspective really. And she's watching all these other people who are doing the challenge and like kind of things that are happening to them, including, you know, the one guy who has, you know, all these scales like starting to show up on his arm and, you know, pulls that string of tickets out. And this other, that this woman who's just like basically glowing in this red light and everything. And Casey even mentions at one point when she's talking to uh, another character that we'll get to about, you know, I've seen people turning into vampires and clowns and things like that. And, 
you know, watching all these other victims or all these other challengers and kind of what she describes on it, what what did you think, honestly, might end up coming out of it? Like, did you think that she was going to turn into a monster or something? Did you think, you know, this was about possession? Like, where did you honestly see uh, see the, uh, the end result of this World's Fair challenge going with Casey from all the other proof that we've seen in the movie, you know? Yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you the exact same question because I don't know if I fully have an answer for that. But when I was watching the film, it felt like as it progressed, the challenge was more and more beginning to infiltrate real life. And that all, you know, within the context of we're seeing it through her perspective. So she's see maybe that's just her uh seeing the the challenge infiltrate her own personal life more and and she's kind of falling more into this internet susceptibility and the power of suggestion maybe that's kind of what it's alluding to is that she's falling further and further down this rabbit hole uh and investing more and more of her persona into her online persona rather than her um real life persona so i think that's my most compelling theory of, of what it could be is that the elements of the World's Fair slowly were getting more and more actualized over the course of the film. Maybe that was a representation of her falling more into that online world. And I thought that, to be honest with you, I thought that the film was going to end with her committing suicide, yeah. quite frankly, because that yep. was direction that it was going so that was what i thought was going to happen yeah and you know it's it, it it's interesting because like i would agree with that i would say the same thing is that that's kind of that that's seemingly where they were building towards for sure and you know there's a part in the movie to where they show um like somebody else who uh who does the whole you know i'm going to the world's fair and starting like the first part of that challenge and then they get pulled into their computer by like this ghost hand and i was like okay now you're just throwing me for a loop at this point because I was yeah. here and I'm seeing this shit now. Is it ghosts? And yeah, like I, I, I love that because you're right. You're you're absolutely right about what you're saying. And to where the more the movie goes on, the more she becomes more susceptible. And it's almost like she's actively looking for things to say this is really happening. Like things are getting weird and I'm being weird and like my photos are distorted and this is happening because I want it to happen because I'm seeing these things happen when sure, if you go looking for something, yeah, like, hey, it looks everybody, like I appreciate you checking really out this case, video, whether you know? it was a review, whether it was a new episode, whether it was an unboxing, an interview, or whatever else. I want to remind you, you can check out my separate reviews also on my YouTube page, and new full episodes go up every Wednesday night on YouTube at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, and on your favorite podcasting platforms at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like, and share. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.